our text from Luke 13 today. Jesus says, uh, The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe then it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. I pray the Lord be with you. I do that not because we have to, but because um, we are affirming God's presence here among us. That we need the Spirit of Christ to not just proclaim the good news, but to receive it. Right? Today, friends, in the middle of Lent, in the season of uh, dryness maybe, death, fruitlessness, we declare that God's mercy is at work even now. God's mercy is at work even now. God's mercy is at work even now. Getting under the surface, reckoning with our hearts, and offering His very life to nourish us. Today in Luke 13, uh, Jesus dismantles one of the biggest obstacles to the love of God for humans, but more particularly for people who are taking Jesus somewhat seriously. And that's the illusion of meritocracy. Meritocracy is this idea that we get what we deserve, and we should. That what's fair and just is I get what I've earned, right? So good things happen to hardworking, good people, and bad things happen to lazy, evil people. You tracking? Our country, our churches, our workplaces, our homes, our lives, our sports teams, they run on meritocracy. It's based on an understanding, a misunderstanding of justice as retribution. A misunderstanding of blessedness as earned. A misunderstanding of God as the just dessert dispenser. One of my favorite movies, uh, I don't know, there's always those movies that everybody can agree on that are just amazing. And then there's those movies that you like that other people are, like you're kind of embarrassed to mention that because you don't want... (laughs) You don't want to lose, like, social capital with people. Um, one of those movies for me that either people haven't, usually haven't seen or people who see it and they're like, meh, is the movie uh, Dude, Where's My Car? No, I'm just kidding. It's the movie, <laughs> the movie, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. I did. That's, it's only downhill from here, so let's... Let's pray. Um, if you haven't seen The Count of Monte Cristo, it's a, it's a book that was written in the 19th century and, and some of the details in the book were changed for the movie, but it tells the story of a man, Edmond Dantes. He and his friend Fernand are serving on a French merchant vessel together. Edmond has a servant's background. He comes from, this is, um, this is France in the... Uh, 19th century, right? So there's still like uh, lords and the plebes, 
right? And so Edmund, it comes from a really poor background, and Fernand comes from a more noble, regal background. Well, they're on a merchant vessel, their captain gets sick, the first mate says, you know, uh, let's just go back to France, but Edmund puts his foot down, they land on the island that Bonaparte, Napoleon, is, is, uh, has been, what's the word? Um, thank you, exiled to. Let's, let's just do that, let's make a Mad Lib sermon today. <laughs> You guys pick the words and I'll just give space for it. <laughs> they stop, uh, they go to Napoleon Bonaparte who is exiled because France has rejected him and, and they need to get medical services for their captain. Well, Napoleon says, I'll do it if you deliver this letter for me, Edmond. So Edmond takes the letter, their captain is saved and when they get back to France, the, the people who own the French shipping business, they praise Edmond for this work he's done. And they give him a promotion, which really makes the first mate angry. Angry. And so with this promotion and, and with this, like, getting, being rescued from this dire situation, Edmond decides it's finally time to uh, proposed to his, the love of his life, the beautiful Mercedes. But Fernand is jealous. Edmund's best friend, Fernand, is jealous, not only of Edmund's promotion, but also he has a secret crush on Mercedes. And so, Fernand conspires with the first mate, who doesn't get the promotion, to frame Edmond for a crime. And it's, it's wonderful. I mean, if you like intrigue and swashbuckling and um, uh, Jim Caviezel's dreamy blue eyes, um, <laughs> can I get a witness in the front row? <laughs> Carlos like, he was heavenly before the Passion of the Christ, amen? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, <laughs> Jim Caviezel plays Edmond. So Fernand basically frames Edmond, gets him arrested by the gendarmes. The French have such great names for all their things, right? The gendarmes come and they arrest Edmond, Dantes. And, and, um, and then when Edmond goes to Fernand for help, Fernand basically betrays him and he runs off with Mercedes, and the uh, Villefort is the m chief magistrate in that town, and the letter that Edmond had implicates Villefort's dad as somebody who's supporting Napoleon. So Villefort, and I think his name is, uh, I forget his name, the first mate, and uh, they all conspire to throw Edmond into Chateau d'If, which is an island prison, and it's basically... Uh, solitary confinement, 364 days a year, with one day of torture on your birthday. Edmond doesn't know any of this stuff about his betrayal. All he knows is he went from getting a promotion and, and proposing to love his life to being in Guantanamo Bay, essentially. He spends six years distraught, in his sixth year, while he's minding his business, up pops a priest right through his floor. This priest, we learn, his name is Abbe Faria. 
and Abbe Faria has been uh, digging for 11 years to get out of his prison cell. And he's been digging the wrong way. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So Abbe Faria recruits Edmond to help him dig. We can do it in six. And there's some wonderful dialogue between the priests and Edmond in this scene. They dig. As they dig, the Abbe Faria trains Edmond in sword fighting and gives him a noble's education. And so Edmond be, be, becomes um, much more couth uh, and refined and skilled as a sword fighter. Right before he dies, uh, the, the priest uh, tells Edmond why he's in prison. He had a treasure map and he wouldn't give the treasure map to Napoleon. And so Napoleon threw him in prison. See, I'm telling you, it's got everything. Sword fighting, treasure maps, prisons, Jim Caviezel. Um, so, so, Edmond, armed with all this work they've done and a treasure map, breaks out of prison, recruits a pirate, and becomes the Count of Monte Cristo, all for the purposes of getting revenge. He finds out, he finds out that his best friend betrayed him and that he went to prison for 12 years as an innocent man. Um, y'all, some of you seen this movie? Yeah. It's, it's really incredible, isn't it? And some of the part of the things that, have, that, stir, that stir me about it is we love a good betrayal revenge flick, don't we? Like, we love it. We love, um, like, we're scandalized by betrayal. Fernand, played by Guy Pierce, he plays such a bad guy in this. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's the best bad guy. Um, he, we, we love hating the bad guy. Like, we're all galvanized against Guy Pierce. Nobody's in the theater thinking, this guy's getting a bad rap. No, all of us are just, ugh. And all of us are sympathetic to Edmond. We live in a world, friends, of betrayal and revenge, of even in us as we watch this, what's triggered in us is uh, Fernand has to get his just desserts. Revenge is just. And so we're rooting and rooting and rooting for him today. But friends, we are Christians. If you're here, you're not a Christian, God bless you. But most of us are. Today, today we see that into a world of meritocracy, of betrayal and revenge, of having this deep, here's a French word, this deep jouissance, which means like intellectual pleasure at seeing revenge take place. Isn't jouissance? They have the best words. Today we proclaim that God's mercy is at work, even now. He gets under the surface. He reckons with our hearts. He gives his very life to nourish the depths of who we are. Friends, where do you, need to repent of living in a meritocracy today. Luke 13, Jesus has spent a lot of time in chapter 12 talking about the impending coming of judgment. He's telling people, be awake, stay aware, read the times, you know when it's going to rain. He's saying this over and over and over again. I don't, have, 
a whole lot of time to teach on this, but let me just assert that most of most, if not all, of Jesus talking about judgment in the Gospels isn't speaking about some future end of the world. He's talking about the Romans coming in 70 AD and destroying Jewish life, ending the world. The temple was the center of the cosmos in the Jewish imagination. So the destruction of the temple is the end of the age, the end of the world. Jesus is saying, all of this stuff happening around you, don't you see what's going on? Don't you see that that this Make Israel Great Again project that Herod's been doing and he's recruited all the religious leaders in? Don't you see it's going to end with your destruction? And so Jesus then in verse 1 does a meritocracy takedown. And two ways that mercy triumphs over meritocracy. Number one, there are no more scapegoats. And number two, blessings and curses aren't as simple as God's people want to make them to be. First, let's look at this. There are no more scapegoats. People are listening to these, just, just picture this in your minds. Engage your imaginations. God is even at work there too, I promise. They're listening to these warnings of judgments. And some people who are there on that occasion, that word is kairos. So in our DNA groups, we train in kairos, like paying attention to kairos. These people are having a kairos. And they're like, Jesus, I know exactly what you're talking about. Those Galileans, they totally got blasted by Pilate. Those, yes, Jesus, be awake, be at warning, because God's judgment is coming like those Galileans. Galileans, those, um, let's, let's make it more uh, current. Those Kentuckians, those, um, those, 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 those West Virginians, those uh, people from the South Side. I'm from the south side. I feel it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. (laughs) Those liberal Christians, those snake handlers in Appalachia, those KJV onlyers in Kentucky, those Trump voters, those social justice warriors, Those wacky second cousins who maybe claim the name of Christ, we'd rather not claim. Galileans were considered careless with the law, backwards. They spoke with an accent. Their entire area was penetrated by Gentiles. Many of them were intermarried with them, for crying out loud. They worked with them all the time. Jesus was probably a stonemason, not a carpenter. Sorry, sorry if that just ruined everything for you. And his family probably worked with Gentiles in Sephora to rebuild Roman things, so like Jesus was probably ritually unclean every day. Galileans, stinking Galileans. Jesus hears the story about Galilee, and what does he do? Idiots. No. No, he brings the focus back to them, doesn't he? He says, you think they're worse than you? No. The same thing's going to happen to you if you don't repent. And I'll one-up you. Remember that tower that fell? 
Here in Jerusalem, the center of purity and blessedness? Remember that tower that fell on some of your relatives? I tell you, the same thing's going to happen to you unless you repent. Meritocracy, friends, survives off of scapegoating. Do you know what I mean by scapegoating? What do I mean? Yes. 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 Scapegoating is, you know what our problem is? Them. That's scapegoating. You know what our problem is? Those guys. And if we can just deal with those guys, then we'll be great. Meritocracy survives off that. And a meritocracy, friends, the logic of meritocracy is we are defined by our enemies. They control our identity and shape our life. But God, God's mercy, friends, defines us today. Not our enemies. There are... Yep. Parents, come talk to me afterwards. There are no more bastards. There are no more bastards. Anywhere. Um, we've got this thing that happens in our house. Um, and I, I talked to Deacon about this, and um, he's watching one of the little kids. And so if he were here, he would probably uh, mad lib this too. But um, he's, he's got this incredible right and wrong meter in our home that um, works overtime in him, but also works overtime for others. It's like this critic, right? That's always seeing what's wrong and letting everybody know if they're doing it wrong. Uh, and we've decided to, to name this critical voice Steve. <laughs> so we, we talk about how Steve, Steve can have some time off or you can tell Steve to take a break, those kinds of things. Because um, the, the worst thing you can do for someone who's critical is what? Criticize them. So we, we try to make light of it, try to make room for it. Um, yeah, I was on Facebook yesterday. That was my first mistake. And uh, someone posted something about um, uh, white racism in the church. And uh, immediately, some person I don't know, a friend of a friend, probably 60 white guy said, there's no racism in my church. And, and some, my friend engaged him. Hey, how do you know that? Uh, because I have, there's two black people at our church. Two. I was like, yeah. yeah. Must be nice. <laughs> Shangri-La. Um, uh, Shangri-La, that's, that's a white joke. Wakanda, right? Uh, yeah. Where am I going? Oh, yes! So, so this, this incredible moment happened, friends, where um, my friend was like, oh, have you asked those two black people in your church if, if they think racism exists there? And this guy, with no irony or sarcasm, said... I don't have to ask them, I just know. And honestly, friends, 99% of the time, I am so good, so good at not engaging this kind of stuff. But I just went full Stephen Colbert on this guy. And I, and I told him, uh, 
I told him how upset I was that white people keep inventing racism as a way of uh, enhancing the victim mentality of minority people. And, um, and then he kind of said, well, I think racism exists on both sides. And, I, and I, I said, I need to see evidence and data. And I just kept going after this guy. And uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> after, after about 73 messages and me just... I mean, I was like so hardcore sarcastic with him. He just said, basically, I'll pray for you. I hope this has been helpful for you. And I was, and I was like, oh yeah, that's why I don't engage in these antagonisms. <sighs> Friends, uh, his name's Shane. You don't you will never know who he is. But Shane and I are both the same. We both need God's mercy. I justify myself when he's one of the Galileans slaughtered. When he's one of those idiots who are standing under the tower. But today, we declare that God's mercy is available to us right now. Right now. He gets below the surface. He, he deals with our hearts and gives his very life to fertilize, to nourish our life. Where do you need to repent of living in a meritocracy today? The second thing, friends, is that there's a temptation to draw a direct line between blessing and curses. Divine karma, we might call it, right? And, and uh, I would say this, and again, I, I'm already going too long. Um, sorry, I haven't preached in six weeks, and so I'm out of practice. Um, uh, The Jews came by this understanding of how God works honestly because all through Deuteronomy, this is how God says He'll work. This, this, there needs to be a 20-week series on how we understand Scripture and how it's authoritative. Let me try to do that work in 20 seconds. What could go wrong? Scripture is in tension and conflict with itself. Jews understand this really well. Christians don't. We want a manual to life that has no mistakes. Jews are like, no, we need to argue this out or we can't know the truth. So you have Deuteronomy saying, if you, if you obey, things will go well with you. If you don't obey, you'll die. You'll die. And then we have Job going, oh yeah, really? Really? The righteous guy? No. You don't know what's going on in the heavenly realms. You have no idea the spiritual warfare that's at stake. You got Deuteronomy saying this and this and that and such and such. And then you have Ecclesiastes. This is all just BS. The rich don't pay for it. The poor suffer. There's this tension wrestling in Scripture about how do we connect what happens to somebody with what they deserve. And there's this... Um, uh, and and it, it's not that some parts of Scripture are wrong and right, but human consciousness could not actually apprehend and comprehend what Jesus is teaching here a thousand years before it. That's my belief. There's progressive revelation because people just couldn't see it. And Jesus even talks about this when he teaches. They have eyes to hear, see but can't see. Ears to hear but can't hear. So we don't read Scripture flat, static. Everything has... We read Scripture with Jesus. He's our rabbi. Jesus teaches us how to put it all together. He, Jesus is what God has to say. 
So this, what does this mean? This means that God, good, most of the kids have left. Uh, this, <laughs> I did not expect the kids. Hi, Genevieve. Come talk to me afterwards. Um, this means God did not send the tornado flood aids to curse the fags. That's what this means. Replace fag with something else, just as offensive. But we do this, right? Maybe we don't say, oh, that tornado hit that uh, trailer home park in Oklahoma. There must have been some meth dealing there. You know what I mean? We do this kind of thing, but we also do it in our own little lives. Oh, the barista gave me a free coffee today. Must be because I prayed. <laughs> right? God, I've been praying for this headache to go away for two days and it hasn't. Oh, it must be because I yelled at my kids. We do this. Right? Can I get an amen? This is what meritocracy does for us. It gives us scapegoats to justify ourselves, and it gives us the illusion to think that we are in control of God. He's the genie in the bottle, and we've got to rub him the right way. That's, that's, who, that's who God is. God obeys our obedience. But today we proclaim God's mercies at work here. You no longer are defined by your enemies. Amen. You are not in control of God. Isn't that freeing good news for us today? You will die just as they did. You're no different. At the end of Monte Cristo, Edmond flawlessly executes his plan of revenge. I'm going to spoil it for you and you still have to see it, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. It came out in 2002. You've had some time. <laughs> he flawlessly executes his revenge plan. He gets back at Fernand. He gets back at uh, Villafort. He gets back at the first mate. Yes, thank you. Gosh, you should be doing this. Uh, he, gets, he gets back at everyone. He even buys the castle uh, deaf. And he's going to raise it to the ground. And he's sitting in this castle. And he's executed his revenge plan. He has Mercedes. Mercedes had a son with him. He didn't know about it. He's reunited with his son. And he recalls this conversation with the priest as he shared the revenge with the priest. And the priest says to Edmond, like this is like 15 years earlier, God says vengeance is mine. And Edmond says, I don't believe in God. And the priest says, that doesn't matter. He believes in you. And he's sitting in this castle and he's crying and he says, you were right, priest. You were right. This movie undoes us. Un un it undoes the, the satanic logic of betrayal, revenge, betrayal, revenge, betrayal, revenge of meritocracy, it shows us the, it pulls the rug up and shows us the cockroaches there. That revenge kills us. It destroys us. Meritocracy cripples us. But God's mercy intercedes. Give it one more year. It gets under the surface to the roots of the problem and gives God's very life to nourish it, to fertilize it. So today, friends, Today, we got one more year.
Where do you need to repent of living in a meritocracy today? Of either controlling God by your obedience or defining who you are based on who you're not. Let's use this prayer in our booklet to respond to this. Um, We don't want to leave just patting our hearts thinking, I'm so thankful I'm smarter now. Not like those other people who didn't get this sermon today. But we want to leave thinking, have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. So let's use this prayer in our booklet. I thank you, Lord, your kindness extends to all. Dig around my heart, nourishing me with your love in my blank. Where do you need God to get into the roots of your life? And the goal is kingdom fruit, friends. The goal is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness. That's that's the goal. So whatever it is, wherever God's moving on you, surrender it, and we'll all agree, and we'll say amen together. Let's, Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, that your kindness extends to all. Dig around my heart, nourishing me with your love in my self-willfulness and fear of dealing with my pain. God, I don't want to trust you there, and it's killing me. Do this so I can bear kingdom fruit. Lord, in your mercy, tend to us, Jesus. Work with us, Jesus. Be merciful to us today. Break our hearts, Lord, for how the sin of the world is the same as the sin that lives in us, that lies in wait in us to seize opportunities of temptation. God, for those of us trapped in habitual, addicting, fruitless behavior, God, set people free today by your mercy, for your sake. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, we've heard good news today that the mercy of God is at work and that we have no more enemies. Our lives do not need to be defined by that anymore. God is at work uh, digging around our hearts, helping us get in touch with what's real and what's really going on, and He's nourishing us in that place. So, I pray that you would go in that knowledge, that God goes with you, that that which you have received at the table, you become now as the body of Christ. So go now, turn to the Lord, let his thoughts fill your minds. Do not expend your resources on that which cannot satisfy and do not become overly sure of yourselves lest you fall into temptation. Instead, seek the Lord while he may be found and take the path to freedom that opens before you. And may God's love be better to you, even than life. May Jesus Christ be to you a rock and a life-giving spring. And may the Holy Spirit strengthen you and guide you all the way, in all the ways of life. Amen. 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 Friends, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.